Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the sick podcast with Draft Vogel. I'm John Vogel. My co-host, Justin Gamble, as always. Guys, we got a special guest on here today. I'm really happy to get him. Mr. Mark Jarvis is going to be joining us. But first, we got the producers. We got the big guns in the studio. Sammy, let's get this thing rolling. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Draft Vogel. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. The first pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. The sickest NFL Draft show. It's going to be sick. And good afternoon, evening, wherever you may be listening. Maybe it's morning. If you're waking up with us, great. Thanks for tuning in to the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel. And then check out all the other Sick Podcast uh, podcasts that are killing it right now. I saw our guy down there in Tampa just got the Christian Eisen on there. Right after, I mean, he had the offensive coordinator last week. Who knows? Maybe Todd Bowles will make an appearance at this rate. He's killing it down there. And uh, Justin, how are we doing? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm fresh off a of Colorado Avalanche road win last night. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I was you know, watching that. Yep. Your partner just didn't fare so well yesterday, but it's a long, we're season. not going to talk about that. We're not no. going to talk about that. We're not going to talk no. about that. In other news that, uh, the baby Jesus chicken, you called me while I was eating earlier. <laughs> I think it gave me an upset stomach right now. So I'm struggling a little bit, but <laughs> you'd think, chicken. Hey, 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 you left out the sweet Ooh. part. Sweet baby Jesus. Oh, sweet baby Jesus chicken. Had too many, uh, spicy chicken sandwiches earlier today, but I'm, I'm making it through right now. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that would explain a lot. So uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and bring in Mark Jarvis. Mark Jarvis is the head of Jarvis Scouting. Uh, this is a, a pioneer, honestly, in the scouting industry. I know he doesn't like me saying that about him, but he really is on the media side and working into uh, agents and different things like that. It opened up a lot of doors. And Mark, man, first off, if you're viewing on YouTube, we got the new setup here. This looks really nice. Uh, thanks to everybody in the background that set this thing up. And how are you doing, dude? Doing pretty good. You're making me feel old. It's calling me a pioneer. I don't know if I'd use hey, that. Hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. Listen, if you think about all them Bitcoin engineers and all the people that came up with all those cryptocurrencies, they were all like young dudes and they were all pioneers. Okay. So pioneer is not an old fashioned term. In fact, most of the people that went out West in the 1850s that we call pioneers, right? 1850s, 40s, on the wagon trains, the Oregon Trail, those were all young people going to start their lives. Pioneers are not old people. Okay. So. Let's get that cleared up right now from a historical context standpoint. Yeah, I know for a fact Mark is younger than I am. So, Mark, you can't feel that old, buddy. Your body cannot feel as bad I'm as I'm getting gray hairs, right. man. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you work too hard. For those who don't know, Mark Jarvis, if you were on Twitter in like 2013, 14, 15, 16, Mark Jarvis is like one of the absolute original OGs of this industry as far as cutting up film, uh, being on Twitter, like just – outworking everyone in the industry and being one of the first legitimate true psychopaths in this business <laughs> of just like you cannot find him 
not talking about football or like I said, cutting up. Fil- I mean, I remember the old days when you would cut up all the broadcast film, like the, like the night after it came out, he's coming up with his cuts and he, you know, he's, he's circling the player with the editing stuff that you're like, how did he do this? Like there was like three hours of downtime, you know, and this guy did it. Uh, it was, it, we've just, there's so much, history with you mark and it's been so awesome to see what you've done in this industry and i remember i came on your podcast a few times back in the day that was probably seven eight years ago but just to see everything what you've become and what your business has become today is, is insane so you have to tell everyone what you're up to these days though and uh how how things are going for mark jarvis oh man i'm pretty boring nowadays i wish i had the energy that i used to have when i was doing that cutting up tape and watching players and all that um I don't have that type of energy that I had back in those college days. But yeah, um, John kind of mentioned I've been doing my Jarvis scouting stuff, which is essentially just watching players, evaluating them, and then giving that information to agents. And that can range anywhere from early, early in the process. So before spring grades even come out, when there's really no opinions on these upcoming seniors, all the way up to guys are signing in December, January. Hey, a guy popped up at a pro day. Can you watch him real quick and give me eyes on him? So, And then I also do the Lindy's Magazine each year. Uh, we've been doing that for about five years now, which is it's getting to that time of year. And it's very, very time consuming because uh, I end up watching about 250, 300 guys and have to write up for that magazine. So I stay Bro, pretty. I go to King Supers every year and go to the uh, magazine section. King Supers is like our, you know, our Colorado's local, whatever uh, grocery store. But every year I go there and I buy that Lendy's and it's awesome to see your work in there and know that you've been part of that. So that's freaking cool. Keep that up. Yeah, so as you can see, this is a very accomplished person in this industry we've got on here, okay? This is he's behind the scenes cuz he's not on social media as much as he used to be. But Thank no, God. he's very <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but so the, we wanted to bring you on here, dude, because last week we we brought your name up, you know, and specifically because Justin had started to talk about uh some of the process type things. And if you if you know the rest of the podcast that we've done have all been about evaluating and looking at guys and that's part of the process but you've gone deeper than that into exploring scouting guys and that's what i wanted to get into is the actual process of it which first off specifically biases i remember i think you were the first person that i saw with actual like data that you had put together and compiled from numerous studies and numerous different places about eliminating biases and how biases can affect you when you're looking at players. And I thought that'd be a great place to start uh, because biases, we hear it every year. Oh, he's an Ohio State quarterback. He's not going to make it. Or, oh, he's still too short or too tall or whatever the explanation is. Biases always cut in. And so what are some of the most common aspects of biases that you've encountered? And maybe personally, you while you were going through this journey a few years ago, exploring this stuff that you personally had contracted yourself? Yeah, so I would start by saying where my interest kind of came from was not by just on my own going out and saying, oh, let me go, you know, look into this other field that I know nothing about. It came from looking at what are teams paying attention to. And so this particularly was from the Rams. Les Snead uh, had a podcast about two years ago, and he brought on this decision-making scientist, if you want to call her that, Annie Duke, talking about thinking about things probabilistically and biases and that sort of thing. And from there, I kind of just jumped into it in the same path that Les Snead and the Rams followed. And that kind of led down towards looking at, you know, a lot of different uh, works through like decision making science and the social sciences and so on and so forth. And so that's how I got into it. And whenever 
Vice is a really loaded word because you say it and you think, oh, that, you know, everyone kind of knows what it means. It's like, hey, you're coming in with a skewed perspective. You can't really not have a skewed perspective. Whatever information you receive is automatically skewed. You know, if I watch a player, my bias is that I have 10 years of watching players and I'm going to view them with certain ways based on that. So you can't really avoid it necessarily. It's just a matter of what perspective you have with it. But there are a lot of common biases that you could point to that can really pull your decision making from what would be considered like an optimal towards something that could really kind of screw you up in terms of evaluating a player, right? So um, if I were just to pick one that really, really stands out to me, this idea of inside-outside view. And so the inside view would be I watch the player on tape and I, I take down my notes and I say he does this and that well and I watch these games. And the outside view would be to say, Okay, he's six foot five. He's three hundred pounds. He's got thirty-four inch arms as a tackle. He runs really well. Like just based on that information alone, I can take him and compare him to all of the guys that have been that way in the past. And no, he's not a reject, right? Like he's not a terrible player. He's probably going to be drafted. He's going to fit within a certain bucket. And so I think that's one main area where people can kind of get pulled is the bias of just kind of that inside view of I'm only looking through my narrow frame of what I saw watching the guy for three, four games on tape versus um, all the guys in history that have had these types of measurements or played at these schools, that sort of thing. But we can, I have a whole list here. If you want to go into more specific stuff. Yeah, no, no. Before, you right think. before we get, you no, know, I do want to get into that. Cause we got time. We got time today. Yeah. So like, like that's the thing uh, before we get to that, I do have to get into draft Kings because draft Kings has been gracious enough to support the sick podcast the NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweeter offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Sports. You see it right there if you're viewing on YouTube. Six sports, no, new customers can score $200 instantly. And so I don't know if you're a gambling man, Mark. I think that in this industry, we all kind of have to be gamblers sometimes for taking shots at prospects. Hey, if you don't I'll have a draft. Actually. I've actually gotten into that recently in the past, uh, I would say six months or so, got into playing on DraftKings. And I think it's it can, kind of ties into a lot of the way we think about this with probability and that sort of stuff. So. Yeah. That kind of probably makes it sound a lot more boring than the advertisement you gave of, hey, bet five, you know, 200 bonus, uh, $200 in bonus bets, which was a delight to use. But <laughs> yeah, if you just, if you just held off another six months, you could have gotten $200, Mark. <laughs> no, I, did. I, actually, I got one before that was the same deal and it was absolutely awesome. I won awesome. 180 on my first uh, few bets with it. So look at, Ooh. see, see, look at that. See, <laughs> he's a born expert, right? He's a See, born expert. He is. He is. So <laughs> let's let's get into some of those specific biases. You know, what are some like what are some of those that you were looking at that on your list? So I can give you I, I'll give you a couple on this list and you tell me which one sounds appealing to you because I've got the whole list here and I don't want to bore you and I'll let you take it wherever you want. And you've probably heard a few of these anchoring. I know I posted about that one on Twitter before. That's Commitment bias, hindsight bias, illusion of validity. And survivorship bias. If any of those stand out to you, feel free to. Anchoring you... was one the one that really got my attention. What, go ahead, Gore, uh, Gamp. Go ahead. I was just gonna say those last two are words that I don't know, so I'm already interested. <laughs> so if you want to get to that at any point, let me know, because uh, you know I'm in. But yeah, go we, start wherever you want, and uh, I'm all ears. You, you probably you've probably seen survivorship mentioned in like a really petty way on Twitter. Have you seen the airplane with holes in it? 
floating around fantasy Twitter? I don't uh maybe I don't, know. I don't know. So, I don't go on fantasy Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, survivorship bias is uh it was it came from this uh, mathematician named Abraham Wald, and it was back in the I think it was the 40s during World War II. And so what they did was they were trying to figure out, hey, we're getting these planes back from combat and there's damage in all these different spots. We need to figure out where we need to put armor on these planes. And so they were looking at all these planes and say, hey, all the holes are in the, you know, the wing or they're here and they're there. And let's armor those holes up in the wing and so, so on and so forth, uh, because that's where they're coming back and they're being damaged really badly. And they were going to do that. And Abraham Wald was like, stop, don't do that. Because what you're forgetting is the planes that aren't coming back were being hit in different spots. The, the planes that are getting hit in the engine and stuff where they go down, you're not going to see them. They're not part of that sample size, if that makes sense. Right. And so I think in particular with scouting, you can look at this from the perspective of, hey, you might have someone hyping up a 5'8", 170-pound running back who runs four fives and say, oh, yeah, well, look at this guy who had success in the league. Oh, small, undersized running back who's not very fast, Darren Sproles. Well, for every Darren Sproles that you have, you have hundreds of guys with that exact same type of profile who got shot down because they didn't have other traits to make it. And so you have to keep in mind who's not in the sample just as much as who is. And also that kind of goes into, if you look at combine in particular, you'll see some people kind of use combine stats and say, Oh, well, athleticism doesn't matter because this guy ran a four five, five and whatever. And, and he still made it. Well, if you look only at guys at the combine, they're already selected based on being good enough to make it to the combine, right? Like they're not just pulled randomly from college football. But if you look at college football as a whole, you'll notice, okay, athleticism does matter. If you look at all the pro days, all the information in total, you'll realize how closely athleticism is correlated with how guys actually play and how good they are. See, so that's what we would normally use to describe. I think we've used on the show is outliers. You know, that's what you're describing is survivorship basically being how you eliminate outliers and taking in outliers because you have this one that made it. To an extent, right. yeah. It's and it's it's a matter of remembering just if guys do succeed, it's not like they're just this single isolated um, instance of it, right? They exist within a broader group. And so if you were to I'm trying to think of a good example here that would go with that. Um, if you were to look at let's say big athletic quarterbacks, right? If you were to say, Oh, big athletic quarterbacks are all the rage now, they're they're so great. And they're having so much success because you're seeing, you know, guys like Josh Allen only having success. If you were to only look at the guys in the league, you're missing all the guys who didn't make it to the league, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's, yeah. Survivorship. Anchoring was another one that I really liked because we, I think we, I had you on a show a couple of years ago when you had first brought this up in, in anchoring and explained this. And so let's go ahead and talk about anchoring again, because I, Justin, I like this one a lot. I think and, and if you I haven't heard this is, one yet, so, so let's do it. Yeah, roll with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact specifics of. I could do the. I could pull up the tree question if you want. Yeah, let's you, do if it. you want to give me yes. one second, I'll pull up the tree question. I'll tell you the exact. I'll actually make Gam guess it real quick. Oh boy! <laughs> I'll make another reminder. Yeah, another reminder to our listeners of how stupid I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want you to answer this for me, Gam. Okay. All right, buddy. Is the height of the tallest redwood tree more or less than 1,200 feet? More. More. Okay. What is your best guess about the height of the tallest redwood? Son of a mother. 
1,300 feet. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, let me double check and make sure, but I'm yeah, you're not close. Yeah. <laughs> the real answer is 380 feet. Shocker, buddy. <laughs> a full thousand Shock. off. So, so essentially yeah. what anchoring does in that situation is I gave you a number, right? I gave you 1,200 feet. And so your brain automatically latched onto, okay, 1,200 feet. And you adjusted up or down from there. You didn't think in a vacuum of, oh, what would it be? You know, you didn't compare it to the size of all the other trees or anything like that. You just used that piece of information and pulled up or down. And so um, this comes from work back, I think it was in the 70s, but it was from, you, I don't know if you guys have heard these names before, uh, work of Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, who were cognitive psychologists. And what they did was they did the same question, but they changed the number for what they started with. So instead of 1200 feet, I would ask you, okay, 180 feet higher or lower. And based on that, the groups came to very different answers. If you started at 1200, the average guess was close to like 840 feet for people. If you started at 180, the average was closer to 280, right? And so that initial number really carries a lot of weight for where people go. So if I'm talking to you about a player and I say, yeah, I think this guy's, you know, like a fourth round. What do you, what do you think? Well, if you haven't seen him and you're, you're seeing just a little bit, you're probably not going to say, oh, yeah, he's a UEFA or, oh, yeah, he's definitely first round. You're, if you, you know, are kind of starting with that anchor, you're going to be pulled a little bit. And so I think in particular, this happens with you'll see, you know, a big NFS or Blesto grade come out or you'll see a lot of guys in early media mock hype. And it's like, oh, this guy's a first rounder. Definitely. Absolutely. Start of the summer. Everyone's putting him in the first round mocks. Well, when you watch him, is that number in the back of your head? Are you, you know, I watch, let's say, Patrick Paul from Houston. Is he really a first rounder? Well, I'm seeing people put him there. I'm hearing it from people, you know. And so when I turn on that tape, if I've heard that, then I'm kind of going to have that there. And it might pull me a little bit. It might not be a whole lot, but it's going to influence overall where I go with my opinion. Wow. This is a good, it was a good choice to have Mark on this podcast, John. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and the funny thing is, like, what we just talked about last week, Mark, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode, but we were talking about, like, hits and misses that we've had and, like, the way that sometimes you, like, I remember, uh, do you remember the Duke linebacker, Jeremy Cash? Yes. Uh, I remember he had all this first-round hype, and I remember turning on his film and being like, in what world? You know, and I think I went in thinking, like, okay, I got to see a first-round player, and... I immediately kind of went back or I started with kind of like a pushback of like, he needs to fit this hype for me. And he didn't. But then it also goes the other way where sometimes you're wrong because you hear like this guy has to, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of what other prospects. Well, you hear you use, to you use Max Crosby as your example last week where you talked about Crosby being, you know, if you were like, oh, I think that he's he's got some tools and stuff and you were lower on him than you should have been because right. because of what I the thought consensus he, well, had. Right. I thought he was a first round player and I'm like, well, he can't be because no one's saying it. You know what I mean? But it also goes the other way where you miss when you hear this guy is this perfect prospect. Like I heard Jeremy Cash was and I'm like, ah, I, I'm pushing back right away. And turns out he is that great prospect. But because he didn't fit what I envisioned as a perfect guy, I kind of went the other way. So, like, I, I think it's good that you're here today because I think all three of us have kind of clung together for years and years because we all kind of have our own voices we all kind of don't mind getting roasted on Twitter or kind of going against the grain. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really good to recognize your own biases and kind of have your own voice. And I just, that's been my struggle, I think, all along, is I always want to put back against the, the echo chambers. And when we brought up you last week, I remember you brought up a tweet like three years ago 
or you tweeted something about Bo Nix saying this kid has tools. There's ability there. If he ends up a top 15 pick, you know, like that wouldn't shock me. And everyone was like, what a stupid idiot. And I tweeted something similar around that time saying, well, I mean, there's, it's just the way it is. Like this kid has size. He's got arm talent. He's got ability. He might not be everyone's cup of tea, but based on his tools alone, like there's potential that he gets drafted high. And both of us were dragged through the mud and here we are today. And I mean, you know, Bo Nix could be a first round pick. It's taken some time for our prophecy to come true, but it's one of those things where it's like you say something and if people didn't hear that from the outside sources and if the echo chamber wasn't blasting that in their ears, immediately they're like, this is, you know, you're absolutely crazy. But it's just, you go, people go in with that bias of what they've heard from you. It, it's, I like the Patriots uh, method. Bill Belichick, when you go to the combine, he doesn't let his scouts talk to anybody. He doesn't let anyone that works for him talk to anyone, anywhere, anytime, at any event ever. And I, he says it's because he doesn't want his guys to be influenced by outside voices. He doesn't want anything to get out of his building or inside of his building. He wants it his process, his way. And I think there's negatives to that, but I do think there's a lot of positives to that because you're not listening to outside stuff and you get to go into your own, you know, your own opinion, your own outlook on a player. Yeah, and so I wanted I wanted to touch on a couple of things here because you brought up a lot of really good stuff there that I wanted to get into. And I'm probably I rambled. All I rambled. No, I loved it. And Bo Nix is a really interesting example of that, right? Because like you could look at Joe Milton in a similar boat this year where if you told me Joe Milton could somehow still end up going top 20, I could see it. He's massive. He's probably going to run pretty well. He has the strongest arm in college football. Like he has some really freak stuff to his game. You could also say, yeah, he goes in the sixth round. I'd be like, well, maybe he doesn't run very well and he doesn't interview well and so on and so forth. Right now, the range is very, very wide on him. It's probably going to be tighter on some other players like Drake May, Caleb Williams. We kind of know roughly, hey, they're going to be relatively high. Right. But each player kind of has a certain range that, based on where you're at for, out from the draft. You know, the further out you go, the more range there is for that guy to go up or down. Or And then you also just have teams are going to view the guys very differently. Even on draft night, some teams are going to have second round. Some are going to have fifth round. Um, and so for a lot of people, they just see, I watch Bo Nix. I don't like him or I do like him. And this is my opinion. He's a third rounder. He's a second rounder. He's a seventh rounder. Well, it depends on what you're guessing for. Are you guessing for where he's actually going to go? Are you trying to make a prediction or are you just simply saying, this is my opinion, right? And so if I say Bo Nix could be a first rounder based on such and such, and it's two years out and he has those physical tools. It's a prediction based on, hey, he's got certain things that a lot of first-rounders in the past have tended to have. The range might be pretty wide, but you just don't really know at that point in time. Um, and then also the stuff on Belichick, we can get into that. There's a lot of stuff I would love to touch on as, in regards to like bias and, and groups and that sort of stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it. Yeah. So the number one thing in terms of group decision-making, in my opinion, is – that you just want people to have their opinions set before you kind of intermingle for that exact reasoning of like anchoring and then kind of the social influence aspect. Like you talked about it on Twitter. You have people who, if you push back at all against the, you know, the, the, I, I don't know what term you used for, but essentially the, the social groups thought of this guy is this, you know, um, you would kind of face ridicule and criticism for it. And there's a strong social element to how we function in groups, right? Like, it's kind of hardwired into us to want to fit into a group, right? We're, we're kind of built to be these like, Hey, let's all try to be friends and try to work together. And we have to have certain places in the social hierarchy. And if we act in a way that kind of breaks that we put ourselves at risk of being, you know, outcast and so on and so forth. And so um, 
in terms of how teams should approach this, in my opinion, and based on like stuff from like I mentioned with the Rams or how you mentioned Belichick keeps his scouts from intermingling, you don't want to have your area scout write down his opinion, have his opinion, and then go to the combine and talk to three different people and hear, oh, I got him in the sixth, oh, I got him in the third, so on and so forth, and then bring that back to them. You just want purely, hey, what was his opinion, and keep that kind of isolated in a box. And sorry for rambling there. We, if you any of that, like, you want to pull a certain way here, I prefer to go that way. No, so look, look, here's the deal, Mark, is what we do on this podcast is we get down, we get dirty, we talk about all kinds of different stuff, we ramble, we, you should, I mean, if you listen to our, you know, running back, quarterback episode or defensive line, we went really deep in, we like rabbit holes on this podcast, okay, so, and that was why I wanted to have you on, because you like, you are good at rabbit holes, because you've gone down all these, and I, I, I typically I think I'm the person that learns from experience and I've been trying to be better about learning from outside opinions since then, uh, since I've had some really, really terrible experiences. But, you know, right now, I think it's about right. What we're trying to do is we're trying to open up to this particular side of the process, which is, hey, everybody's got their reasons for doing it. Here's how a bunch of other people do it. And here's some ideas. Maybe this is going to work for you. Maybe this is going to work for, you know, your friend or whatever that is, because everybody's going to do something different. And it's about finding your process and finding the right process because of our personalities, the way that we work, the way that we operate, we're all different. There isn't really a tie all fit all. So in this case, this is wide open forum, dude. That's what, <laughs> that's why you're here is because we can get in, we can go down these rabbit holes. We can talk about all of this stuff. So I'll throw this out to Justin in particular. I know you're very opinionated. I've seen some <laughs> over the years. Like I, I know we're, I used to be in the same bucket as you where I'd tweet whatever about a player. I'm like, oh yeah, CD lamb round four and get, you know, crucified. On <laughs> I didn't say um, that anyway, but yeah. I so, get, I get what oh, I said, it. I'm saying I said, CD. Oh, okay, okay. You, you've had stuff that's along those lines where you're, you're like, oh geez, I'm going to get killed for this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. so have you given a grade job player or had an opinion on, Twitter and like kind of broadcast it out to people. And then you kind of go back later and you're like, I, I'm seeing the guy differently now, but I don't really want to push back against what I've said in the past. Ooh. Not, I mean, I'd say not necessarily, not really because I'm, I'm a big believer in like the process is fluid and I want fans and people that don't really understand this process to get that and that it's okay to kind of tweet or, or just have opinions in the moment and then you know evolve and kind of take the information as it's coming and as as more is given and sway your opinion i mean that's kind of the whole point of this whole thing is it's you know year to year guys change athletes grow it's not madden where they have a rating and this is what they are it's it's there's a human element to it and some guys some team some games guys just don't have their best game um, some teams just aren't meshing well. Some offensive systems got, you know, completely stymied by the defense they played. And that quarterback looked like an asshole that week. And, it, you know, he looked horrible. Like, but that's that's the way this works. I think I am probably a victim of uh, just saying and tweeting whatever I'm feeling at the time. And then people obviously come back to me again. And they're like, how, you know, three weeks later when that player is bad or good, everyone's like, you stupid idiot. Like, how dare you? And I'm like, you know, I'm OK with that. I'll live with that. I'll eat that because that's that's the point of this is it's it's supposed to be fluid. It's supposed to change week to week and it's a long season and it's a long process, um, you know, and I think the, other, the, the main thing that I've always like 
so confused by is people will argue with other people and like I'm, I'm guilty of this as well but we haven't all seen the same tape we haven't all watched the same things you could see three seasons of a guy and someone's watched two games and you're arguing with them just wasting your breath and wasting your energy and your time and i think that's silly you know like i said we all do it i'm a big person that's guilty of it but it's one of those things where we you have to just Whatever you think is what you think, and whatever you know is what you know. I think it's important to understand you probably don't know what you don't know. Uh, whether you're an expert or someone that's just starting, there's always information that you maybe don't have or that you haven't been given yet or that you just haven't looked into. You know what I mean? But it's 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 one of those things that I, I don't really mind just taking the heat. It's kind of fun. It kind of kind of gets me going sometimes. Like that that's that's the whole thing about this. We're all supposed to have different opinions, and um, so, I, really don't, I don't mind so, that. Sometimes I do. I, I have found in the past where I've had an opinion about a guy and I didn't change it because I knew that I had said this about it. That was early on in the process. But since then, I think the thing I'm more guilty of is tweeting something like two months prior that, and then tweeting the absolute opposite two months after, <laughs> after watching the guy again and doing like another game or something and going, Oh yeah, this guy can, you can do that and this. And then I get called out on it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I just tweet and draw and go, man. I don't even, I don't even remember what I say half the time. So, but no, it is, it is a fluid process, which you're kind of describing. Um, so that was actually, I wanted to bridge that into talking about commitment bias, which fits right into that. If, if we're kind of hardwired to, once we kind of get our beliefs set to continue to broadcast those beliefs to our social groups, to our social tribes. And so, for example, if I go out and say, Bo Nix round one, right? People are going to say, oh yeah, he's the Bo Nix round one guy. And then if I go back and change that, I'll say, man, you're being wishy-washy or, you know, you, maybe you're kind of a, a sketchy individual. I don't really trust you. Why are you changing your opinion? So on and so forth. Oh, you know, that, that sort of thing can really anchor us to poor decisions because we're afraid to kind of put that out there and change based on what we've, you know, what's kind of just recently come in and what new information we have. Um, and that was the one thing I, I wasn't sure where you guys fell on that. Cause I know back when I was on Twitter, really putting out a lot of thoughts like that, I got so much heat. Like I wanted to just stop putting out any opinions because anytime you change your mind, you'd get blasted. And then that kind of, you know, I, you guys have seen it. People who they get set on a player out of high school. I know game. You've seen this, especially with certain people on Twitter. They love this guy out of high school. He's such and such. He's going to be a top five pick and Kalen Bellage this. And then they end oh, up you know, <laughs> I know and then it's like three He's years in their career and they haven't done anything. They won't, get off that hill or they try to sweep right. it up under the rug like it never right. happened you know so oh, a lot of it is so much right. of the social posturing to look smarter and try to you know have a have other people think good on you when they see your opinions and your, your views on players right this is this is a good transition into what our, the next part of this i want to get into which because you're talking about you know the commitment bait bias which is other people's opinions influence um, and this kind of went into some of the other biases and stuff, but what have you found specifically about limit, how you limit other people's opinions from influencing yours? So this is a really tough one because you can approach it from so many angles, right? Like for instance, if I'm working for a team, if I'm Belichick, my objective is very different from if I'm just a media guy who's trying to figure out where to stack guys on a media board or what rounds such and such player is going to go in, right? Like the, the whole goal is so different for how do I build my team? And so it would be very much a matter of, do I want to have other people's opinions in? Like if my goal is to create the most accurate board to where guys are going to get picked, 
then I might be like, okay, cool. Let me look at where Dane Brugler has guys or where the consensus boards have guys, that sort of thing. But if my goal is to just say, okay, in a vacuum, you know, what do I think then? Okay. Let me not, you know, pay any attention to that. Or if I'm worth a team, okay. What specifically for our team fits that criteria of what is useful information? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so as far as me personally, where I try to eliminate other people's uh, opinions and try to focus on good information it really, you have to get used to looking through people's work and figuring out, okay, does this person really have useful information? And you guys probably have seen this. There are some sites out there where they will literally copy and place, paste the same report formats. You can type it in word for word and it'll pull up 10 different guys. You're like, that's the same, you know, 30 word sentence. You just copy and pasted it. You didn't watch the guy. Or they'll put, you know, some Juco guys offensive tackle 35 and then on their list of 100 offensive tackles. It's like, I know you haven't watched that guy. It's, it's me, right. you know. So right. that's not good information. That's not useful information. Versus if Gam comes out and says, hey, I have this guy in this round and here's why and so on and so forth. Then I could add a useful perspective and say, OK, am I not thinking about it in a way that could be useful from what he has, right? If he, if I watch a player and say, hey, I'm kind of low on his accuracy, I'm kind of low on his decision-making, and Gam says, you know, I really like those things about him, I can say, okay, maybe I should revisit that. Maybe I missed something. Maybe, he, like you said, maybe you watch different games, right? I don't know how many games you tend to watch. I tend to go more on the lower side where after about three games, I feel like I get a good feel of a guy. Some people watch 10. Some people will go and watch all late-season games or all early-season games or – Whatever they can get. Some people have all 22. Some people don't. Some people are watching for best competition. You don't know necessarily what all is encompassed in those people's opinions. But over time, you can kind of realize who knows exactly what they're doing and how you can apply that info to what you're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. There's, a, there's a difference between what's good information and what's bad information. And that's based on – so if it sounds like, first off, knowledge of the person that's giving, that's presenting the information. Um, that'd be the first thing. But the other thing too, is when somebody, I think somebody says something to you and you kind of go, yeah, maybe I should revisit that. Maybe I should take a deeper look at that. You know, I'll use the example when I was talking to Chris Sims, the combine a couple of years ago and talking about his quarterback evaluations, because he always gets roasted for him every single year. Everybody's got a problem with it. Sometimes he's very wrong, but sometimes he's very right. You know, and I specifically, I wanted to ask him about his Josh Allen evaluation. How did you, what was it about Josh Allen that made you think that he was going to be a great quarterback? And he said, "Hey, look at the ball placement. Where's the ball going at the end of the at the at the end of the throw? I, there are so many throws that he made. His completion percentage wasn't sixty five percent because he had guys dropping them left and right. The he lost three of his receivers. Yeah, like right. Yeah, like you know, like <laughs> these guys were financial advisors when they left Wyoming. You know, like that was the that's the idea. Is I think when somebody presents you with a good point." That's a good general point. Uh, that's something that would, be that would be constructive information. So it's deciphering what's constructive and what's destructive is what it sounds like to me. I think it's cool. It's nice to keep your circle small is what I kind of realized over the years. Keep your circle, maybe not small, but know, know your circle. And then I think it's important to know the biases of the people in your circle. I, when we first started this, uh, when I first you know got on Twitter and was – I think I start, first started working for NFL Draft Bible and everything. And me and Mark would interact a lot. And I remember Mark in the early days one day told me like straight up, I don't give a shit about athletes. You know, I want to find guys that are good at their positions. 
And this might not be how you feel now. I don't know. But Dude, I I'm the absolute reverse. I don't care if you're big, fast, <laughs> and long-armed and, like, you're a first-round pick to me. It's, it's funny. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, see, so back in the day, Mark was like, I, I want to find guys who are technicians and who are good at their jobs. And athleticism kind of comes second to me. So I would know when I talked to Mark, he would say, you know, Josie Jewell is, is an amazing player first round for me. And I have to go in knowing, okay, I don't know how good of an athlete Josie Jewell is yet, but I do know that he's probably going to be really good at linebacker. Now it's up to me to employ my own bias in it and, and say, I need, a, I need an athlete. I need a guy that's going to fit this certain mold. And then I go from there. But it was good to know, okay, my buddy Mark has this bias and I have my own biases. So let's combine them or know what each other are talking about and we can kind of paint the big picture. And obviously now it's changed, but that I think that's a good thing is like David Saba, who has uh, he's a buddy of mine on Twitter, and I think he's asked us a few questions for the show. John, he's obsessed with athletes. He's obsessed with any athlete who's a big, strong, fast athlete will overcome any and all obstacles and blah blah blah. And that's good. Every time I talk to him, I know all right if he's hyping this guy up, if he's talking about this guy, this guy's probably a sick athlete. He's probably a quarterback with a big arm who runs fast. He's probably a defensive end who's big and strong and has long arms he's probably a safety who looks like taylor may you know what i mean but if you so i think if you if you have that small er circle and you can find useful information and know your own you know your own people's biases then it, it it's really good for painting the big picture and kind of adding your own information slowly because you're not going in like i have no idea who i'm you know sourcing this information from so um and again that's why it's been it's been really good to have you guys in my corner over the years because we all kind of know what we're looking at and we know our own strengths and weaknesses and our own biases and we kind of just stay out of the echo chamber and the group think and it's it's good to kind of get those fresh takes um when you know everyone else is saying the exact same thing week to week a bunch of things here so let me go ahead and start on um like you mentioned people knowing each other and getting used to hey this is this is how this person views the game right that's such a big thing with teams too, because that's why they like kind of the continuity in their rooms to where if I work with a scout for six years and he continually grades guys, I can pick up on, hey, he likes the long on corners or he likes the really smart safeties or the, the big defensive tackle, right? You kind of pick up on those things of how people view the game. Another thing I would mention too is there are uh, even beyond just individual people, you can look at something like a consensus board and still get a lot of value out of that information because there's so much information packed into consensus just by necessity of how many people are putting their rankings and all that together. It kind of over that aggregate pushes it towards a good location. And that's why consensus boards a lot of times have so much success is it's not because it's some, you know, masterpiece that's so smart. It's because it's really just the uh, accumulation of all the information of people that are, you know, part of that. Um, talking about specifically key information, right? John, go ahead and dip your hat real quick. Reese's. I know why you're wearing the hat, senior bowl hat, right? It's delicious. Oh, oh okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, love Reese's. Yep. <laughs> this is actually my notes for this specific thing is different places and different people have different levels of valuable information, right? The senior bowl is a huge tell. If a guy gets a senior bowl invite, what does that tell me? It means the senior bowl has contacted scouts from probably 12 to 15 teams. They said, Hey, we like this guy. We think he's draftable within, you know, let's say first five rounds, you know, he gets enough endorsement throughout the league to warn an invite. Jim's not just watching the tape in some, you know, dusty office and going, Oh yeah, that's my guy. And then no, he's talking to all these teams and taking in all this information. That's what kind of pushes that forward. So when a guy gets a senior bowl invite, a combine invite, 
you know, uh, when he really has a good day at pro day or something like that, you can take the pro day numbers and kind of project that forward. Um, there, there are a lot of ways you can pull useful information out like that, that you would get so much more from a senior bowl invite, for instance, than what any single person could put on Twitter, regardless of how you know great of an evaluator are, they just don't have access to the time and information needed to get what 12, 15 teams saying we want them at the senior bowl gives you, if that makes sense. And then you mentioned groupthink. I don't know if you want to talk about that. It's yes. such a buzzword for so many people, but it's really a, a, an interesting topic. Well, definitely want to get into groupthink. Now, there's one thing I did see from you the other day. I'm trying to find your tweet. Uh, this one right here, October 12th. One of the things I've come to appreciate over time, this is Mark's words, not mine, just to clarify, is how much the profile reflects about a player in their likely draft range, even without tape study. Big 12, defensive tackle, 6 foot, 1 eighth, 290, 505, 40, 31 and 1 eighth arm, not very productive, two-year starter, says just as much or more than tape with a draft projection. You know, so that's something I wanted to get into a little bit because that you just kind of great grazed over that, you know, a little bit with that where you're talking about valuable information and these kinds of things. So, you know, one of my friends in the industry is, you know, and I've talked about it on the show and we're going to have him on at some point when he's finally able to, but Mark Orsak, who was a longtime scout with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, he has this absolute bias against the Big 12. He hates the Big 12. <laughs> he can't stand watching it. Anytime he has to, you go to a game and it's like, oh, God, I got to watch a Big 12 game, you know, because the, the level of competition there is not like the SEC or even the Big 10, you know. So when you breaking this down, Big 12 defensive tackle, that's a that's a key word for a lot of people. OK, that's a level where, OK, it's, it's division one, but it's not great. Undersized doesn't run as fast, not very productive to your starter. So what you're talking about is a, is a line of information is you break that down, giving you this type of information so that you're when you're going in and looking at if you're going to even study the film on this guy, because I think at some point with three, 4,000 guys coming out a year, you have to kind of cut off and say, I'm not going to get to this guy. That's kind of what you're referring to right there, right? It's, it's a lot packed in there. And part of this comes from the idea of I kind of view – my job is trying to figure out what is the range of grades teams are possibly going to have on a guy and then trying to project that of, okay, what's most likely, where does he kind of slot in uh, amongst all players of the position, for instance. And so I view it from, if I take all these teams and how these view, they view this information, it's going to vary. Some teams are going to care a lot about that. Hey, played in the big 12. They're, they're, you know, offensive lineman, defensive lineman from the big 12. And we're shaky on them. Some teams are going to go, cool, he's played in the Big 12, I don't care. Some are going to see he's a little bit on the smaller side, and they're going to say, eh, we want bigger guys. Some are going to say, we don't care, we'll take a smaller guy if he's an athlete. You know, Some are going to focus on the technique, and some are going to say, yeah, we want athleticism. Some are going to care about the arm length, some won't. Uh, Gam, you mentioned it, uh, talking about Cam Ward recently, how playing at uh, Washington State might have an impact. Some scouts are going to be like, eh, I don't really know how I feel about it. Yeah. So it's going to be really dependent. Some will care, some won't. And you kind of have to figure out if you were to stack up all those things, how do they kind of order, right? Like if I were to give you that line, short, not very athletic, small arm defensive tackle, and instead of saying Big 12, I say, hey, he played in like D2. He's dead. No one's going to watch him. No one's going to pay any attention to him. There's just nothing there. Yeah. You know, now if I give you that SEC and I make him a little bit bigger and a little bit faster, it's going to make a big impact on how people view him. And so just by that line of information, I can tell you 
hey, this guy is going to fall within this range. Now, it's going to be a wide range, but I can tell you that guy is not going to be a first-rounder. If you're small, playing it, you know, a, a second-tier P5, not very athletic and short-arm defensive tackle, I don't care how good of a technician you are, you better have a team that really, really, really loves you if you're going right. to get first round. But you're probably not going to be a trout guy. You're probably going to get in camp. You're probably going to get an opportunity. So just taking that range from, hey, he's the first overall pick to he's a reject. Nobody wants him, not even the CFL or XFL, USFL, so on and so forth. And whittling that down and getting, okay, he's now here, you know, maybe like seventh round PFA and then kind of figuring out from there, okay, is the tape a little bit better? Is it a little bit worse? Does it match up? So on and so forth. And then that goes back to anchoring. If you're anchored on that, hey, he's like seventh PFA, when you watch the guy, then you can kind of pull from that anchor, but you're not taking these big jumps like used to game. You mentioned, I'd look at the guy and say, I don't care if he's athletic. Is he a good technician? Well, it burnt me a lot. It's evidenced by all the players that I graded in the past and really did a terrible job with. And that kind of helps you avoid that problem where you overweight the athlete or underweight the athlete. So right. 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 Yeah. And so that's a good, what we're talking about is, and one last thing to point out, because I don't think we've actually mentioned this on the show, is the ranges. I think some people don't understand, especially on the back end. I've had to explain this to scout, to like not scouts, but like agents and stuff before, where you're talking about day one, first round, day two, second, third. And those can vary. You can dip into both of those. Same with day three, four to the seven. And then when we start getting into, you've got high priority free agents, right? And then you've got free agents. And you've got tryouts and there's like two tiers of tryouts, right? There's like a tryout. You might make the team tryout. You're just there. You're a body. Yeah. And then, it depends and then, on the team, but it's, it's, I mean, most tryouts aren't going to make it. You got like a small little thin layer of guys that are kind of just on that line, but it's, it's so team dependent too. Some will say, Hey, we'll bring in 50 guys and maybe sign one. And some will say, we don't even want to do tryouts. Who cares? You know? <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. I know the cow, it was the Cowboys. I think this year that canceled their tryout. There were a couple teams that did, and, and it was a big deal when they did. Like, oh, everybody's like, "What are they doing?" Look, you might be getting a guy that's going to be on the ninety-man roster. You know, like that's yeah. the idea. But so I just wanted to clarify that. So now group think—that's something that we've talked about a lot on the show because there's a lot of it. I mean, you got social media, you got these constructs that just allow group think to flourish. So you want to go down that rabbit hole? Let's do it, Mark. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot real quick, and I'm going to say, give me a definition of groupthink. How okay. would you define it? Well, groupthink is the general social construct of a, in this case, a range or a, a, a thought about a prospect, where he is, where he is listed, where he should go. And it's based on so many people saying it that it becomes sort of like common knowledge. Okay. Gam, you want to I think it's just like people siding with the majority, like even if that's not what they think or even if they really didn't have an opinion or even if they're not even knowledgeable on the topic, I think from what I've seen is, yeah, it's like this player's this good and everyone's like, ah, I don't want to say anything otherwise. Like I'm going to go with it so I feel cool and so I can just be a part of something bigger than myself and anyone who says otherwise, you know, you're an idiot, but I'm, I'm part of this whole thing and we all think it, so we must be right. That's, in my in my experience that's what it's been so so let me ask you is that a good thing or a bad thing why why would someone just go with the crowd like what what's the reason behind them just going with it uh, i mean i think people want to be right and i think they'd rather be wrong by in a group than wrong by themselves 
So it's like well, I'll take that chance and be part of the, the majority. And if we're all wrong, we you know we'll probably talk our way out of it, or at least people won't come at us because we're all in the same group. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't know. I could I could be completely it's, wrong. It's, it's a perfect yeah. uh, definition for it because it's like it's safer in the group, right? Like you're not right. gonna be you know criticized. People aren't gonna go after you if you just kind of say, hey, yeah, I just go with what everyone else says. You know, I'm not pushing back at all. Um, it's interesting. Group think the whole terminology came out of back in the Cold War, and I'm, I think I got the name right, there was a uh, professor named Irving Janus who studied a lot of these Cold War committees that kind of made decisions about, hey, how do we handle the Cuban Missile Crisis and so on and so forth. And so the primary case study that he had on that was when they were going to prepare for the Bay of Pigs, they kind of had everyone formulate this plan and said, okay, we're going to you know, drop these guys here. We're going to, you know, arm them such and such. And, and if something goes terribly wrong, then they evacuate, you know, five miles to these mountains off to the side. Right. And so later on throughout the process, everyone had kind of already agreed on that. There was a release by a journalist that said, hey, we have this information of they're training up these uh, Cuban, you know, um, rebels, basically. Uh, and they're going to drop them off in Cuba and essentially try to incite a, a rebellion. And everyone in the committee was like, yeah, you know, we're going to go and just stick with the plan anyways. We're cool with it. Yeah, no problem. And the the group was kind of stuck on that and stayed tied to that even when information changed and even when things started to kind of look the other way because they didn't want to push back. They didn't want to go against each other and go against the plan. Well, inevitably, it goes horribly wrong. All the, you know, uh, rebels that they were going to drop into Cuba get captured and their plan was a complete failure. And the reason why was because, hey, we didn't want to kind of rock the boat on it and so on and so forth. Right. And I think when you look at any type of social situation, we have that, right? Like if you were to go into, let's say, a, a um, an elevator and everyone's facing one way, are you going to turn and stare at someone in the face and just go like this, you know? No, there's social rules that you're going to follow. You're going to try to act a certain way. You know, right. there's certain ways that you conduct yourself. You don't even think, you know, when you get an elevator, you don't think about that, right? But it's there. It's kind of been ingrained in you, in you to act a certain way socially, and you, you don't want to push back against that, right? And yeah. so I think group think a lot of people think just, oh, it's this simple concept where people, I, everyone else is, you know, just, just tied to their groups, and they're so afraid to be different and this and that. And I'm, I'm different. I'm unique. I have my own opinion. It's not really that. It's kind of just hardwired into us to be receptive to what is around us socially and to understand, hey, if everyone around me thinks this, I probably should, you know, act within a certain social um, criteria, if that makes sense. Right. Didn't you end up teaching somewhere? Wow. Did I teach somewhere? Yeah. No. See, I thought I thought I thought I thought you did for some reason. I don't know why I was thinking, but, you know, you you've already you've already got that down. Like you could walk into a university and I've learned so much today. You can, you can, you know, I, I should have had better notes. I'm like, hey, no, this is the no. professor and this is the situation. Uh, what exactly <laughs> happened in Cuba? And so if I had yeah, a PowerPoint here, it'd be a lot more effective. I'm just wondering like <laughs> where you know all this from. I'm blown away. So I've I'm been impressed. pretty quiet on Twitter for the past two years, three years, right? Just researching, just yeah, that's why. Yeah, no, that's all this guy does. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, dude, this is insane. I I'm I'm genuinely learning a lot. So this is sick. No, so this is this is a great segue into modern stuff like what's going on in the draft now because i think we've covered biases really well we've covered limiting others opinions we even got into groupthink 
And so there's all these different things, you know, that really influence us on social media, especially on the media side of scouts. And it's easy to do, you know, if you're on the NFL side too, because you got everybody else in the league that thinks one thing and you don't want to be that one guy that's like, well, you know, Caleb Williams might not be the first overall pick, you know, but speaking of Caleb Williams, you saying it like, I'll be honest, just you saying it kind of provoked an emotional reaction where I'm like, Oh man, I hate, I hate him saying that because of how strong that, you know, everyone thinks, Hey, Caleb Williams. I think, I think he probably is, but you know, let's get into that a little bit because Justin wanted to get talk about this. (laughs) This last week, or really the last two weeks, you know, because they had a, he had a rough game against Arizona, had a rough game against Notre Dame this week. Does does that change anything? Does it matter, or does the franchise have to take him because of the immense talent? I'd like to hear you guys talk about that first. I have a long thing of notes, and I'm curious to hear what you guys say. Well, Justin, do you want me to start, or you want to, do you want it to go? I'll dive. I'll dive in. I'll dive okay, in. Let's do it. Let's do it. I, so Caleb's interesting to me because I think he's – I think he – first off, I think he's a lot smarter than people understand. I think they kind of see the antics and the nail paint and there's just a lot of things about him that scream like the current generation and just, you know, whatever that means, take that for what you will. But I think he's smarter than we think and then people give him credit for. I think he's more aware of his own situation than we under, than we think. I think he's more aware of how good or bad his own team is. And I think he knows that he's going at worst top two in next year's draft. Um, I think he's like when I watched uh, Notre Dame game, he refused to adjust his plan at all. Um, he kind of has for two years now. He's the same guy every game. He's a big game hunter. He's a gunslinger. He, he just I think he's the type of guy who would rather lose than win in a way that's not his own way. He's going to win being the hero and being the savior and being this all-time talent, or he's not going to win at all. And I think that's a big part of his evaluation and what teams are going to have to dive into is because I don't think he'll bust because he's bad or because he can't process information or because he's not physically gifted enough. I think the only logical way I can fathom him being a bust is he goes to an awful team like Carolina, for instance, bad O-line. Horrible receivers, no ball winners, no vertical threat, no anything. Everything sucks. Will he adjust his game and will he listen to the coach's game plan and become a true point guard? Will his will he go 19 for 23 for 196 yards and one touchdown, no interceptions? I don't think so. I think he's either going to be the hero or he's going to be nothing. I think he'd rather lose than win a different way than his. And I think that's what I've realized the last two weeks is the game's easy for him. He can do anything he wants anytime. He has an amazing, you know, ability to navigate the pocket. He doesn't give a shit about pressure. He's he dances around it, he toys with it. I think he'll make stupid plays because he's like I'm I'm going to do something that no one else can do or I'm not going to do anything. And so I think as a franchise it kind of sucks if you're drafting top 2 or 3 is because you have to look at this guy and say he might not be in control of what happens to him, as stupid as that sounds, because his ego is what's going to drive him for better or for worse. And we have to take him because of the talent. If you don't take Caleb Williams and you take someone else and they bust, you're an absolute idiot. If you take Caleb Williams and he busts, no one's going to blame you because that was the correct choice. That was the choice you had to make. And I think it's it's putting teams in a bind, and it's really interesting to kind of 
for me to kind of want to watch where this goes because I think he's so polarizing, but he's so good. It's just, will he let himself be good? Will he drop his ego or will he kind of be this like, you know, figure that's like larger than life is what we've kind of made him. And I think it's justified because his talent warrants that. But um, that's kind of where I stand is I, I just think he's someone that's so good and he knows it and he's not willing to give that up at all. That, that's interesting that you bring this up too, because I think today as a, as of recording date, there was uh there's a story that broke. I don't know how accurate it is. I haven't verified it. I haven't tried. I just saw it before we got on. Uh, Dove Kleiman, I think, reported it, so take that for what you will. But supposedly, uh, Caleb Williams is wants um, part ownership of the franchise that drafts him as part of his salary compensation for being the first, second overall pick. And I think when you get into uh, that kind of territory, that's almost an excuse as an owner because the owners are going to make the first, second, third overall picks. I think we've all figured that out at this point. It's the GM. It's not the GM. It's not the coach. It's the GM. It's the owner that's going to make the pick because it's the future of the franchise, especially when it's a quarterback. You're, that's what you're going to do. Uh, there's very few general managers that are going to go. Okay, you know what? Uh, take this out, general manager. You know what you're doing. I'm going to trust you completely, and you just go run the team. There's very few that do that, and most of them that do that are not picking first overall. So when you get to that point. Uh, where you've, you as a prospect are asking for, hey, I want to be a part owner of the franchise coming in. That's that's ground that hasn't been touched before. That's been ground that's been revered as almost sacred, you know, where Tom Brady's finally getting to do that after his career is over. Uh, great players do that, that are very immensely successful not coming in. So, yeah. but I, I thought, that, I think it's a system is what I see. I think that you brought up some really good points. I think the Lincoln Riley system has kind of been figured out to an extent because it's a lot of four verts. And we've talked about that on the show, uh, running four vertical routes, having different leverage based options that you're going to run off of that. It's and, high, low and mesh and it's four verts. And that's basically, it. yeah. And so if you can get outside the pocket and you're a playmaker, like Caleb is like Kyler was like, I mean, Baker was to a certain extent in college. Even Jalen. Jalen Hurts made it. Jalen in that system, too, where you can get outside the pocket and you can create and extend, or really you're not even extending at that point. You're really trying to create something. Yeah. You can be a playmaker, and that offense is going to score a lot of points. And what we've seen is Arizona disrupted that. Arizona, of all teams, disrupted that. And then Notre Dame came right back in the next week and Which absolutely yeah, shut it down. Live. And yeah. going into Utah this week, you got to know – Utah is going to do the exact same thing because they've done it the last two years. I mean, the last year, the last two times they played. So to me, I think that it's a little bit of a system kind of thing. So when you're talking about smarts, yeah, is he smart enough to pick up on another system? I'm not going to run this college shit that you're running right now at USC. I'm going to put it. I'm going to go with something else. I'm going to, we can't do that. Yeah. I can't put you outside the pocket all the time and let you take these hits from Max Crosby, TJ Watt, you know, Aaron Donald, all these great pass rushers that we have in the league that just absolutely will dominate you when they get an opportunity to. So, but Mar that's, that's where I am with him. And that's why, like, when I came out with my quarterback rankings at the beginning of the year, it was 1A, 1B. I think they're really close. And it's because of these things. You got Caleb Williams, you got Drake May. That's yeah. pick which one you like better. And in this instance, I just personally like Drake better. Yeah. I think old school coaches, general managers are going to hate Caleb. Um, 
for just a number of reasons, you know, and fair or unfair, it's just probably the way it is. He's not for everybody. Um, but I mean, it, who he is is probably not for everybody, but also that just the, the plain style of play on the field. You're going to look at him and be like, just call what we run, what we run, what we called, do what we asked you to do and nothing else. And I, he doesn't want to do that. And that's fine. Like you said, Lincoln Riley's system is not great for that. And that's why I think he thrives. He knows I'm going to be the first or second overall pick. This team sucks that I'm on. We're not going to win anything. I'm going to go out swinging. I'm going to win the way I want to win. And you know, it is what it is. I, there might be, that might be the wrong way. I don't think people are going to like that. I don't think people are going to say, people, you know, cause you say that on Twitter and people are like, well, we just want guys who don't quit and blow, you know, run what's asked of them and are humble. When you're a competitor and you're an elite competitor an elite athlete, you know it. And it's not as simple as I'm, you know, like we said earlier, it's not Madden. You're not just a, a programmed AI. You're a human. And, you know, I've, I've played sports my whole life. I've been on hockey teams that are awful. And I'm the only guy that's supposed to do anything. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to do whatever I want. And we've seen, we saw Josh Allen at Wyoming with a bunch of insurance salesmen. And he's out there YOLOing, doing whatever he feels like doing each week. And it's like, yeah, he knows he's not going to win today. So he's going to try weird shit and it's going to look ugly. And then he gets to the NFL and now, you know, he's an elite quarterback because he finally has people that can make the plays with him. Quarterback is such a reliant position on everything else around him. And, you know, if the quarterback knows that, that can be trouble. And I think that's Caleb right now. I think he knows it. And, you know, like I said, it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does in the NFL because I think he does have an ego. And I think that's justified. But I, I just I don't know if he's willing to give it up, if he's willing to struggle for a few years on a shitty team or if he's going to go in and, you know, come out guns blazing from day one and absolutely crap the bed and throw, you know, 50 interceptions like his first year. I, I don't know. I think that's the risk teams have to take with that amount of talent. So, Mark, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Caleb, buddy. Yeah, you've been so, awful quiet over there. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're just you're just brewing something. I'm know. downloading information. Yes, you are. Um, so the question specifically being, does the, the past two weeks change the evaluation? I haven't seen the two weeks. I don't know if he was, like, absolutely awful or looked like a different player. Based on the way you described it, what it sounds like to me is that, like you said, he's that big game hunter, right? Well, I think of like like UFC or boxing or something like that. He's the guy who's going to throw those power punches. Sometimes you start throwing, you're going to get caught and you're going to get knocked out, right? Like that's the price you pay for being that very like high variance, you know, big play, but also always seek, oh, seeking more than you can kind of, you know, dink and dunk to, right? And my question would be, does was he a different player in the past two games than any other game in his career? Then it doesn't really change the evaluation, right? Like – realistically, I like to think of it like this, any week to week game you're going to have, you're going to have a certain range of possible performances, right? All the possible universes you could fit into, there's kind of a distribution. On one end, you've got your, hey, he's going to throw for 50 yards and look terrible and have 25% completion. And oh my gosh, he's falling off. The other end, he has 500 yards and he's the best quarterback ever, given the Heisman right now. Any given game, you're going to fall somewhere along that distribution just based on how the game unfolds. Does your receiver catch the deep pass or does he drop it, so on and so forth. But as long as the guy is still the same player, he still has the same traits, he still has the same temperament as a passer, he still does the same things, I, I wouldn't get too hung up on did he win or lose, you know, or or how, how much did he lose by. Like a lot of those things are so far out of his control of whether his receiver catches the pass or not, so on and so forth, that you just try to judge 
in a vacuum. How good did he do? And then also, is that consistently who he is? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's okay. fair. I, and my issues are more so with, I think, his pocket presence and positioning. I don't think that that's great. I think he tends to hold on to the ball way too long. Uh, and I, but again, that's that goes back to the system, and that's why I keep pointing at the system, you know, and saying that that's what he's being asked to do, though, you know. So I, I think he's, there's still a good chance he goes first overall. I mean, like that's, he's the favorite for a reason. He's got a crazy talent. Yeah, you know. I think it's really interesting because you, I know you guys have probably seen it. Some people will point to, oh, he scrambled and ran away from two defenders and then threw this thirty-yard dart and just perfectly placed. And well, that's not a real NFL throw. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, how many, it. how many guys can do that though? How many guys physically have that ability in their body? And, and that's, that's, that's the, the freshman game, the first game he played against Texas when he like rolled out of the pocket and he did that and threw a 60 yard dot right onto the pylon. Like, I mean, this is one of the best throws I've ever seen, you know, like he's, there's no doubt he's got the talent. He's done it. He's done it his entire career, you know, but it's just, it's more so I think, where where is he gonna like like what Gam's kind of talking about? How does he fit into another system? You know, and that's that's the yeah. real question with him at this point. Yeah, I, I I think that's that's all it boils down to for him is is he going to can he be a chameleon and adapt to his surroundings and become the guy that he needs to be for a few years before his team gets good? Because if he goes to an absolutely terrible team, like put him on the Giants. Every single it put him in the Daniel Jones spot where every time he snaps the ball, 19 players, you know, complete hyperbole, but every single player on the defense is sprinting at him untouched. Is he going to hold the ball too long and be a hero still, or is he going to recognize his hot and, you know, throw for three yards, watch this guy get tackled and do it all over? Like, who, who will he be? And I think that's a big character thing. And I, I hope. NFL teams can try and figure that out. I hope they can get clear, like clarity on it because if he was the only quarterback at his caliber this upcoming draft, I think it'd be easy. But now you have to be that NFL team sitting there at one saying, all right, well, we got Caleb. We're not in love with him, but we recognize the talent. Ah, well, we got Drake May sitting here as well, who's probably maybe more of a sure thing, and we know he'll be what he is. We know he'll be what we want him to be early. You know what I mean? So it's just that conundrum of like, do we swing on Caleb and have him miss? And Drake was there all along and now Drake's a stud. Or do we take Caleb and just understand the risk because, you know, and no one will blame us for it in the long run. I think that was a big question coming out with like Trevor Lawrence was he had a kind of that rough last year at Clemson and Zach Wilson came on strong and everyone, you know, Zach Wilson was all the rage for myself included. And then Justin Fields is sitting there too, who is this accomplished college quarterback with, 4-4 speed, 240 pounds, 6-4, whatever, big arm. And then, so you have all these guys that are there, and it's like, well, you know, Trevor struggled. Should we take these other guys that have come on super, super strong, or do we swing with Trevor? And I think the big conversation for me, and I talked to a former Chiefs scout, and he said, you have to take Trevor. It doesn't matter. If, if all these other guys, uh, if, if Trevor busts, no one will blame the Jaguars. But if they take any of these other guys and they bust, everyone's losing their jobs. Everyone's fired. So you just have to go with you know the guy that checks the most boxes and hope it works out. And if not, it, you'll probably still keep your job because no one would blame you for making the decision in the first place. And I think we're right back there with Caleb. So 
I think you touched on a point that I've already discussed earlier, and it's perfect, is the social aspect, right? Of if yeah. you take the guy who's considered the sure thing, hey, everyone knows he's worth the number one pick. Why would you pick why would you pick Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow? Why would you pick Zach Wilson or Justin Fields over um Trevor Lawrence, right? Like we kind of have that stage set up of okay, everyone expects it to be this guy. I almost would be worried that if a team does take him, just based on that aspect of hey, everyone knows he should be the number one pick, like it's kind of everyone. You're gonna you're gonna be crucified if you don't pick him, right? right. This a team that is really bad picks him at number one, and they don't fit what he does. They don't try to work towards what he does. They just made the decision because they felt obligated to do it, not because they truly wanted him more, not because he truly fit better for what they wanted than Drake May, but just because they felt that pressure of, hey, if we don't take him and we take this other guy and he fails, or we don't take him, the next team gets him and he's a you know the next Mahomes. We're no one's going to let us live it down. We're all going to get fired. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There was a uh, Keynes quote. I think it was something along the lines of worldly wisdom teaches us that it is better to uh, fail, um, fail kind of in a messing this all up in a, in a way that everyone else expects us to, and everyone kind of, gosh, I butchered this quote so horribly. I'm never going to quote Keynes again. Um, (laughs) Essentially, if we fail in a way that is normal, that is everyone kind of expects us to take that route, it's okay. Everyone would have done it. Everyone would have taken Burrow one. Everyone would have taken Lawrence number one, right? No one's going to be on you for that. But if you make the outlier pick, you're going to get destroyed for it. You're never going to live it down. You're never going to get another job in scouting again, so on and so forth. Yeah, I like that. I like That's that. it. So quickly, um, last couple of things that Justin wanted to touch on. And, Mark, I don't know if you had anything ready. We could do uh, it next week, Johnny, too. I'm not. I got notes on everything you sent me, John. Oh, we can hit there it. We go. Do it. And there we go. There Who we go. are some of our biggest and loftiest comps for this class so far, Justin? I want to hear Mark's first. So. Oh, gosh. I want, to, I want to put him on the spot first before I say Oh, something. man. I've got two that are going to be absolutely terrible. Uh, the one, I mean, the one is kind of played out like everyone expects it. It's I, I do see a lot of Mahomes and Williams. Uh, I think people are kind of pushing back against it just because it's like, oh, there's no Mahomes. There's, you know, they, you're never going to see another Mahomes in your lifetime. But there's a lot of traits that he has in terms of the ability to adjust his arm, the ability outside of the pocket, the feel for adjusting under pressure, um, the arm talent. There's just so much there with him that I saw. Obviously, Mahomes, I crushed and was very, very low on when he came out, and I was terrible. I remember that. But, I remember that. Yeah. But, uh, Going and watching Mahomes now, you can see those things, or I can see those things rather. And I think Williams has a lot of those characteristics. And I, I know it might just be more of a face value comp rather than, oh, he matches him one to one. But I do think it fits. And I yeah, got I one. Know, I don't know. It's real quick. I don't know who else. I mean, I've got, I've seen Williams get compared to Josh Allen, and I mean, even it, either one of those comps is like it's so similar. Like I, I don't know who else you would compare him to other than those two. So for people that are like, I don't like either one. I'm like, I... you're out of comps. Try and find <laughs> anything else. Like those are the I'm, guys. I'm gonna you... go. I would go with the Mahomes because Mahomes is at least closer to Caleb in size because Caleb's only yeah. about six. He's I don't think he's six one. So yeah, I would lean Mahomes yeah. too. But yeah, I, I closer yeah, size, I, more more functional under pressure, in my opinion. Yeah, Allen's more that brute force kind of guy, and Mahomes is more the slick get out of the way. But that's the thing I mentioned earlier too is like how many guys physically can do what he does. Yeah. Very, very few. So your list of comps is going to be pretty small. You can't really find 
you know, oh, let's go compare him to some quarterback who flamed out 10 years ago and was a six-round pick. Well, they're way different just in terms of the the quality of arm talent and so on and so forth that right. it's just hard to find guys for him. Right. Let's so hear that other too, one, Mark. Yeah. yeah. This one is a little bit more out there. Um, and I started to feel good about it because I saw verified height weight and it made me feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, and I'm going to probably mess up the name here. Is it Xavier Leggett or uh, how, do, how do you pronounce that properly? The Wait, South I think it's Leggett. Yeah. yeah. Leggett. Jalen Hyatt. And hear me out. Jalen Hyatt, obviously a much lighter guy. Uh, Leggett, official measurement of six foot uh, and seven ace, and he's 219 pounds. He's a he's lot six one. Yeah, he's six one verified. I thought he was like six three, six four. Wow. No, that's why I was like, I saw verified height, and I'm like, ooh, that's he's more a little bit lower on there. I think he wins a lot of the same ways. Of he's a jump ball guy. He has great ball skills downfield, and he has very very natural speed. He revs up easily, but the way they used him, at least from the tape I saw, they used him a lot in the slot. They gave him a lot of open, you know, go routes and stuff like that, and they tried to scheme him up in a way where he's getting those one-on-one jump ball type, go race and beat a guy type of situations that Hyatt got. And I think they win in a lot of the similar ways, even though the weight difference is very notable. Right. They put them both in like pure fade situations, pure nine ball, like get it. However you're going to get it, but go get it. Just go um, out athlete, whoever you're up against. Yes. We'll yeah. roll with it. Interesting. Yep. Okay. They have, Just they had, they do have similar gates too. I'll give you that. When you watch the, like their legs and the, their strides, if you just chopped him off at the waist and just watch the legs, you'd be like, that's the same guy, I think. One may be a little thicker, but I do agree. They 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 do have some similarities. I hadn't thought of that come. And he's and he's and he's a linear runner. He's not a guy who's gonna make you miss. And yeah. after the catch, he's, he doesn't always play up to his size. Like he he's more of the outrun you type with the ball in his hands, in my opinion, yeah. than the guy who's gonna try to barrel through you. And that was the same way with Hyatt, where hey, if you get him in a foot race, he can win it, but he's he's really straight line-ish as a runner and he's yeah. gonna try to get around you rather than through you. Very linear, very linear. Um, Johnny, you want me to go? Yeah, go. Okay, Let's cool. Do it. I had, I had. Okay, so I talked about this on Twitter the other day. Keon Coleman, the receiver from Florida State. Watch. There's not a lot of guys you can compare him to, just because at that size, at you know, even if he's a four-five-five guy, um, that's fast for his size. In his overall game on tape is crazy. He's so flexible, so good above the rim. Um, someone the other day said Andre Johnson light. And that's funny because I was I told them I was like, that's who I was thinking of. Andre Johnson came in at 6'2, 225 at the combine. Um, Keon Coleman is listed at like 6'4, 215. I think the overall like sums of their game are very, very similar. I think Coleman is probably a little better above the rim. He's a little more flexible, probably a little slower, but I think when you combine everything, like you're getting a very Andre Johnson impact type of player. And I know that's like huge lofty comps, but that's what we're doing today. So that's, you know, that's what it is. But I think Coleman, I think the gap between Marvin Harrison Jr. and some of these other receivers, like we've talked about, is a lot smaller than people are thinking right now. And Coleman is one of those guys who's like really quickly closing that gap for me just because he plays so physically and he does some things that Harrison Jr. does not to this point. Um, you know, and then Dallas Turner, the edge rusher for Alabama. He's listed at 6'4", 245 on the Bama website. I don't have an official for him. I might have one. Give me a second. I thought I thought you might. But when I watch him, he's a light. He looks a little light on tape. He's a very much a pure speed rusher, but he's fluid as hell. He's got counters. He's got inside count. He's got everything you could want other than, you know, does he flash that speed to power? Not really. Not yet. Has he had to? Also not yet. 
But I think when you look at him, you're looking at a Brian Burns type of player. And the guy that I kind of see the most is, if you remember Josh Allen coming out of Kentucky, the pressure, who's this year and last year really started to flourish uh, on Jacksonville. And he's probably going to get paid big soon. I think Dallas Turner is probably a little more fluid than him. But that is a lot of who I see when I watch him at Alabama. Um, I don't know if I see quite the Brian Burns caliber player yet, but I mean, if you get someone in between Josh Allen and Brian Burns, that's a heck of a player. That's a top 15 pick. And I think he's on his way to being that. So, yeah, I got him a 602.5242. Ooh. So, yeah, Bama gave him about an inch and a half. Yeah. Bama usually does that. <laughs> Every one of those schools, they usually, they usually bust yeah. him, put him up a little bit higher. Yeah. But no, I can see that. I can see the Josh Allen specifically. That, that makes a lot of sense. And Allen, I think right now is. Close to, if not in the lead in the in the league right now in sacks, might yeah, be second to Khalil Mack, <laughs> who had six in one game. Right, and that's why he's in the lead right now. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, not no, like he's been... Those are good ones. Those are good ones. So I mean, look, in, in two months, Twitter's going to come after us and call us all idiots. But that's that's the nature cares? of this. That, that's exactly what we're talking about. Like, it's fun to do this at the time, and yeah. So Drake May, <clears throat> this is part of the reason that I really like him is when I'm trying to think of a comp for him. You know, you see a guy that he's got a really good arm, gunslinger mentality, can take the check downs, can get outside the pocket, gets out of sticky situations. You know, size-wise, he's a little bit taller, but in girth, he's about the same. Uh, it's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's like watching Aaron Rodgers at Cal without the super high ball up here like this up at the chin. Uh type of player where he can get outside the pocket he can move around he can throw a mile when he wants to um i see a lot of, i just I, when you're looking for a comp and you're like who else do who else plays like that it's it's aaron Rodgers. um i really like that too i couldn't i couldn't get out of the uh the hesitant <laughs> but yeah i couldn't i couldn't get out of <laughs> I couldn't get away from it. It was like I was like I was very hesitant about it because it's like yeah, oh, it's Aaron Rodgers, like you know. But he's hard to compare anyone to because he's sneaky, athletic, which just means yeah. he's white and can run a little bit. But he's got a big arm. He's he's not as long levered at all as you would imagine for a guy that's six four six five. He's got a pretty good release as far as he can make it compact. He can adjust his arm angles. So he's been a tough guy. I've seen like I think Daniel Jeremiah gave him Carson Palmer, which I don't necessarily understand. Um because Palmer was never this mobile and never really had this type of like arm talent as far as being able to adjust his slots and kind of, you know, do all the new age stuff that may is doing with his arm. But I don't know, like I said, it's been, it's been tough to try and figure out who he reminds anyone of, I guess. So, but I like the Rogers. The other one was, was Johnny Wilson, which I think this one's pretty obvious, big, tall, physical, fast, athletic guy, Mike Evans. I mean, red zone guy. I think size-wise, he's actually much more similar to Darren Waller when he came out of Georgia Tech, but that's not a lofty comp. Um, but in the same, in Darren's kind of ended up moving to that sort of tight end, big slot type role in the league. But uh, with the jump ball ability that he can pull off, with all the good stuff that he does like that, that's what I see. Uh, I think it's, 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 he, it's Mike Evans. He scares me a little because he reminds me of uh, Hakeem Butler the Iowa state kid that just <laughs> never made it. You know what I mean? And he was all the rage for a bit and he dominated the big 12. Like, you know, like yeah, well, the difference is, you know, I think Evan, I think uh, with Wilson, you're going to see him run like a four or five. 
That's right. what I'm hoping. Butler ran a yeah. four six five, right? Where it was it was it was in the four six. Team Butler ran well. I thought it was a four five five or something. I'll pull it up. Four five two. But I thought Butler was slower for some reason. I think it wasn't that bad. And Akeem I think Butler was six foot five, five A's, two twenty, ran a four four eight. Ooh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Why was I thinking he ran a four six? Yeah. And that's why everyone was like, he's gonna go first round. Like, look at the size, look at the speed, look at the tape. You, you never saw that speed on tape. I didn't ever. And I wasn't a fan of him. I thought he was a Oh, I was a fan of him. I just was like, oh, he can just out jump everybody and yeah. learned very quickly. It doesn't work like that. Um, but you see the separation with Wilson at times. You know what I'm saying? You see it. He'll, well, it's hard he to creates it. It's hard to stay on his hip pocket with his strides being so long. I mean, when he snaps off the top of his routes, it's hard to – if you're trailing him, you got to stay behind that stride. Naturally, he's just creating separation because he's so big. It's a lot like Drake London. He just – People can't get too close to him. I hope he runs well. I really do because I like him, but I have I have my doubts. I hope I'm proven wrong. Because um, like, okay. like you said, he's well. He's, he's you great, just you just like Keon tape. Coleman better anyway. So you know you're over here, I do. Keon Coleman fanboy. <laughs> I do, man. John, hey, I, I got a potential bad comp for you for that one. I want to hear your thoughts on this one. Oh, great! Another Florida State receiver, six foot five, two forty, ran a four six thirty four and seven eight inch arms. Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin. How do you feel about that? He was before I don't my think, time. I don't know how you feel. I don't think that. Johnny Wilson will gain like 40 pounds like Kellen <laughs> Benjamin did. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I What's Johnny? Really I thought he was big. I thought he was in like the 220s. Yeah, no, he's in Wilson's at 230 something, 237, I think. I thought he was up there. Yeah, he's. Oh, he's you meant after he got to the NFL. Gotcha. Yes. I think Benjamin got to like 260. I swear to God. Like, there was a point where I'm like, that's a left tackle. <laughs> but <laughs> lastly. Uh, guys, because uh, I think I'm uh, pretty sure Sammy and all them there could probably fall asleep over there. Uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a hit that you guys are very proud of, ideally, as someone who wasn't a first round pick, Gorbs. Uh, Cam, why did I say Gorbs? God, I'm tired. we just saw we just saw him play this last weekend in a big upset against the Niners, and it was Jeremiah Wusukormora, Cora Moa. Um, I loved him, I thought. You know, I figured it would be kind of tough to take him in the first round, being that he's undersized. Uh, I know he came in at the combine at like 6'1", 215. But if you come into the combine 6'1", 215, that means you played at like 205. And so I'm thinking, you know, he's not a safety. He's a linebacker. But could he go in the first round? He obviously didn't. He went at pick 52 to the Browns in the 2021 draft. Um, but I, we had our I mean, me, Justin, and Joe from the uh, old Big Nickel podcast. We were talking about him. And I remember us saying, like, he's probably a better linebacker off the ball than Micah Parsons is. But obviously, Parsons is this absolute psycho athlete freak show who's going to go top 15. But I'm like, this, you know, this kid can cover. He's an, a fireball on the field. Physicality is not an issue for him, despite his small stature. And I mean, he's become last year on tape was the first year I was like, holy geez, like this, this kid's becoming a stud. And now he's become a big part of that Browns you know completely dominant defense and jim schwartz absolutely loves him uses him uses him everywhere uses him in every way um he's one of those guys that i'm i look back at and i'm like yeah good for you like trust trust your gut sometimes because you're not always wrong um wrong a lot but not always so you know what's interesting too is you bring him up is he had a uh a, a season high three tackles for loss in that game he's actually got three games this year where he's had multiple tackles for loss 
uh, which I think right now leads the league. Um, he's a big play guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Love him. Marky. <laughs> so this one is a really, really nerdy pick. And I'm going to be up front. I didn't watch tape on this guy. This was a guy that I used all the other decision-making stuff that I had to come to this without watching. I think I looked at like a game of him just like peeking through just out of curiosity. You guys remember when Chandler Zavala blew up after Dane tweeted about him? Chandler. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I wrote an article about him about three days after Dane tweeted about him because I was really confused. This guy was a Shrine Bowl guy. He didn't get a senior bowl invite. didn't get a combine invite. And Dane's like, day two tape at guard. Okay. That's really, really interesting from just no Shrine Bowl guys usually that, you know, don't get combine invites or going that high. He's playing a position where very few offensive linemen on the interior are going that high. You know, there's scarcity there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to write an article about this and try to figure out where do all these pieces fall. And so, of course, I you know went down that rabbit hole, and I ended up having him. He was at the time, by consensus, listed as like 200-something. He was really far down there. Uh, and that was even after a little bit of hype from Brugler kind of pushed him up. And I basically nailed him along with the entire guard stack for the, the entire class, like Anthony Bradford round three, Jared Patterson and Nick Broker falling a little bit. And it was all one kind of collective prediction on I haven't seen this guy at all. I have no clue about him, but just based on the other information I know, where would I kind of stack him in this guard group? And uh, it's a really nerdy pick because, like I said, I didn't really watch him. But I think it shows how you can find accuracy even if you're not watching the guys. You can still kind of go through the process and, and pick up those pieces of information and use them in ways that are uh, very surprisingly effective. <laughs> right. Not recommended. Please watch. But, you know. There's oh, ways to do it. There's I, ways to do it. You, you have to be absolutely <laughs> deranged if you don't want to wash. Right. Right. That's why. The, that's the funny thing is when you go to games sometimes and you're talking to guys that like scouts and stuff. I remember there was this one this week, uh, this well, last month when I was at the MTSU game. He's like, oh, I'm leaving like before kickoff. Like, I'm not watching the game. <laughs> it's like, okay. And then we get up to the press box, and he's like, as we're walking up there, he's like, oh, I think I'll stay for the opening drive. And we're sitting there midway through the second quarter still talking. You know, like, you can't walk away from this stuff, yeah, man. Yeah, like, that's yeah. just you. No, no. It's be Football's a beautiful sport. Um, I'll, fit, I'll wrap this thing up, and I think you guys probably already know where I'm going because I took so much shit for this in 2020 when I was Jaylen. very high on <laughs> Jalen Hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he, I thought he's first round guy. I was I absolutely love Jalen Hurts with everything the way he handled the Alabama situation. Uh, his his numbers were impressive, but it was ultimately the him getting better every single game you watched him. You know you could see the improvement. It was marginal throughout his entire career. Uh, I think maybe we've started to see the cap on his game this year. I don't know if it's that or if there's other factors behind the scenes that we don't know about yet, but. He's a guy that he's been to the Super Bowl. He's a very successful quarterback. He fits that system really well. And that's one I'm going to pat after all the shit I took for three months, um, four months, five months, however long it was, that process. I'm very proud of that one. Even from people in your own circle. Oh, so, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Here's a question I want to ask you, John, and I, I can't get off this without asking you a question to try to really like nitpick your brain here. So, Obviously, we know one out of 32 teams Hertz was a success on. If you put him on any of the other 31 teams, how many do you think he would have been successful on Ooh. to this degree? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so there's how many teams are willing to build a system 
the way that they did, because if you think about what made Hertz successful was getting away from the read progression and going to a P4 system, you know, where you peak four. So now we're seeing a lot more of peak four in the NFL. So peak four, if, you, if you're not familiar with, is you are basically designing plays to where you have a beater every single play. Uh, you got a beater for two high. You got a man beater. You've got a three high beater. That's usually like a seam route or something like that. And so you read the deep coverage post snap and you rip the beater. And that's a that's a way from the one, two, three check down read system, because there's not a lot of guys that can do that at a very high level consistently. So the P4, the peak four is kind of like the idea of we there's four basic types of coverage. You're always going to have a check down. So go to the check down if it's not there, but you're going to throw you're going to rip the beater. Um there's not, I think when he came in, there weren't a lot of teams that were willing to run that. We saw that a little bit with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Uh, so maybe that's a place. I don't think he, I don't think he ever come ever, you know, takes over Lamar uh, as the starter, the way that he did with Carson in yeah. Philadelphia. I think Green Bay was a system that was probably willing to, to give him a shot. I think if he gone, if they had gone that route instead of Jordan Love, he might've been successful there too. It would have taken a lot longer, I think. Um, yeah, there's not many teams <laughs> that you yeah. could point to and go, yeah, he would have been really good because he's not going to fit a West coast. You know, he's not that no. type of a processor, but it's just, it's really, if now we've got the Colts running the peak, the, the peak four, we've got pretty Arizona's going to that right now. Uh, pretty much if you are a team and you're in a situation where you were under Nick Sirianni or influenced by the people that Sirianni was around. You're going to that system right now. Um, Here's a question for you then from that is when you were hyping him up and you thought he was worth a first round pick and so on and so forth. Was that after or before he got picked by the Eagles and you knew that's what he was going into? Oh, that was way, way before. It was um, definitely before. I'll give it was way story. before. <laughs> no, so, it was, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, because that was the thing that I just had noticed was. If you are willing to build around, I didn't understand the system, how he would have to fit into it, but it was more so, hey, the Ravens took a chance with Lamar Jackson, where that was a guy who's not a traditional quarterback. He's not going to fit your drop back, you know, read progression system. You're going to have to design an offense around him. The Ravens were willing to do that. John Harbaugh, I mean, well, up until that point, was literally designing a new offense like every six, seven weeks. And it was like, as soon as he would get figured out, he'd have to switch it up again. And now they're winning. They're going on a big winning streak. So it was really about do, is there a team that's willing to give him a shot? And I thought with the personality, with the work ethic that he had and the consistent growth that he had had over time, uh, that was still, and it was still improving with every game. I thought that there was going to be a team that was going to take a chance, a shot at him. And I thought that that was worthy of a first round pick with the talent yet, but. Gotcha. And I think you'd see where I'm going with this. Of if he goes to any other team, you don't, you might not say, Hey, it's my biggest hit. You know, it's yeah, so, so many different variables coming out of where he goes and the type of system they're running. And does their GM have two years or does he have five or is he going to get fired immediately if they don't win and so on and so forth. And it's so, that's why I always try to get, I try to be careful about like hyping up hits for this exact reason is because there's just so many pieces that go into it. And I can yep. say, yeah, he's worth a first, for how many teams is he worth first? 10? Yeah. 20? Yeah, that's you know? fair. Yeah. 
for even Caleb will not be worth a first for all 32 teams. There is probably going to be at least one team that says, we don't want him. We don't like the fingernail painting saying F Utah. We don't like this about him. We don't like that. Maybe he failed a medical or we didn't like his interview. So, on. so he's going to be off the, at least the first round for at least one team. And that's so important to understand how, how those pieces all fit together. Even if you don't know that information, you, it, it, it's really humbling to, to think about it that way. No, yeah. no, that's exactly it. That's exactly no. That's and, that, exactly and that's it. why rankings are tough because if you just rank guys one, two, three, four, five, what does that mean? There's no nuance to that. Like I had Tua as my uh, top ranked quarterback in the Burrow and Herbert class. Tua is an absolute all star stud right now, but I could admit I was wrong. Burrow and Herbert should have been above Tua. I don't care what the results say right now. I was wrong. You know, Tua fits. Not like like with Jalen, not many teams. He's not a guy that you just throw in any team and say, "Hey, be the drop back guy and carry the offense." That's not him. It it is absolutely not him. In fairness, there's only a few guys that you know you can really throw in any team and say, "Be successful." It's maybe Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Mahomes. I don't know any other guys that are just like you'll excel anywhere. And that's a big part of evaluation. And like you said, Mark, it's hard to feel great hyping up all your hits when it's like, yeah, there's a lot more that went into that. And you could have been wrong a lot of ways, you idiot. You know what I mean? Like you have to talk yeah. to yourself sometimes. Like, and that's, and that's like, uh, like, that's, I think that's one of the areas that we've all grown, you know, in the process of doing this. Right. You know, when we go back to the early days, we all had those opinions. We all had, Hey, we can think of this and blah, 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 that, blah, blah, blah. Now it's, it's a whole lot more mellow, you know, because yeah. we've got that, those years of experience under our belts, yeah. but we can see things sometimes. You know, like when I was talking about Anthony Richardson and, you know, this past cycle, I'm like, if he goes to the Indianapolis Colts, that's like the picture perfect fit for him. Yep. It, yep. At, like just perfect because they're going to run. There's, you got Shane Steichen who just put together that system for Hertz and you're plugging a guy that's bigger, faster, has a stronger arm than Hertz into it. He's going to be a superstar in that system. We've seen flashes. I mean, he's out for the year now, you know, which is which sucks because now we're going to have to wait another year. Hopefully that doesn't stun his yeah. growth. Hopefully this is this is all stuff that's going to help him be more successful in his future. But he's got the potential in that system in Indianapolis with the tools that he has around him to be a superstar. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you throw on that aspect of like looking back on it three years from now, even if Richardson would have been great, if he's hurt and it stunts his growth or it throws off, you know, something with his mechanics or he's not throwing properly or whatever it would be. You're going to look back. You're not going to say, "Oh, Anthony Richardson was such a hit because he was perfect for that system. He looked great for you know three weeks." It'd be, ah, dang, I really wish he would have been able to stay healthy. He would have been such a great player, and you know, it just didn't come to fruition. That's part of what makes trying to find those. Oh, was it a hit? Was it a miss? Like, it's all just one big gray puddle that yeah. it's hard to kind of pick through it. Uh, you know, go, both going forward and going backwards. That's absolutely fair. So, yeah. Mark, I appreciate you taking the time, an hour and a half out of your time to come on the show. This has also been probably the longest sick podcast draft vocal episode ever, and for good reason, because this man right here has a lot. Uh, you could follow him on X, Twitter, whatever you still call it by, at Jarvis Scouting. You can follow Justin at Gam Scout. You follow me at Draft Vogel, and of course, follow the show at Sick Pod NFL Draft. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Justin, you got any last anything else you want to throw out before we get and wrap this thing up? Uh, next week, I want to talk about the college quarterbacks. Uh, some of the not top two we talked about today, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Shadur, Sanders. I think a lot – we talked about a few weeks ago. We want to see how it unfolds as the season goes on and these guys get tested. I think it's the, the big picture is kind of falling into place. 
And I think it'd be cool to talk about that as well as, uh, you know, Brock Purdy and some of the other NFL quarterbacks that kind of fit into this mold. You of, can't wait to talk about Brock I Purdy. I can't wait. But, you know, <laughs> today has been it's, – it's just kind of – reminded me of how fluid this whole process is and i think it, I'm, I'm i'm excited to to keep doing this and I'm, I'm motivated to keep you know watching the film and uh hopefully we can get mark back on here soon because this was awesome so oh yeah mark we'll be hitting you up absolutely yeah, for sure i'd love to be back on i i, I haven't done media stuff in so long it's very refreshing to get back on <laughs> Hell yeah, you just do Hell it yeah. just enough just enough little bits here and there thank you guys <laughs> thank you for tuning in sammy get us out of here and that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.